0: Seeing is believing when it comes to the truth. But what happens when what you see looks real, convincingly real, but isn't? Hello, and welcome to the Unpublished Café. I'm Ed Hand. Earlier this week, Canada's Chief Electoral Officer, Stéphane Perrault, told the House of Commons Committee there is very little in his toolbox to deal with fake news about candidates or their parties during an election. Outright lies on social media about those seeking office can't be regulated by Elections Canada. And we've all seen those hatchet jobs on candidates which turn their electoral dreams into nightmares. Now imagine we ratchet that up a few notches to the point that someone creates a realistic video of that candidate in, say, a compromising position, perhaps infidelity or perhaps criminal actions. But the key is it never happened. Welcome to the War on Truth 2.0, and it's all driven by sophisticated technology. This is what's known as deep fake video technology. That can create video of you so realistic that it's difficult to differentiate fact from fiction. Some of this technology has only been available to big movie companies, so price made it prohibitive to most to get. Now there are free apps for your smartphone that give you the same ability. You may have seen deepfake in action already. Think Peter Cushing and Carrie Fisher in Star Wars Rogue One. There they are on the big screen interacting with characters years after their death. Or maybe it was the video of former U.S. President Barack Obama calling Donald Trump a dipshit. It looks so lifelike, yet it never happened. It brings up some chilling thoughts. What happens when a deep fake video or someone hits social media? It's around the world in seconds, and it gives the victim little time to counter that fake information. Their career and life could be left in a shambles, all because someone had it in for them. And through it all, they did nothing wrong. This is the fear for me. You can no longer have control of your image, your brand, your life. This week on the Unpublished Cafe, we'll delve deeper into deep fake video with Regina Rini, the Canada Research Chair in Philosophy of Moral and Social Cognition. She's also an Assistant Professor of Philosophy at York University. But first, I am pleased to be joined by Mark Nunakoven of cybersecurity firm Trend Micro. And Mark, thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me, Ed.
0: Basically... How does deepfake video technology work?
1: Yeah, so in a nutshell, what deepfake video um, technology does is it takes a large number of sample images of somebody that you want um, to impose on somebody else. So you had some great examples in the introduction. We're used to seeing it in movies for either actors who have passed away or um, also very common is de-aging actors. So take a whole bunch of footage of a young Michael Douglas um, and superimpose it on an older Michael uh, Douglas face. So taking all these sample images, the computer creates a model and then it processes the video replacing the um, desired image on top of the real one and this technology is um iterated rapidly to the point where um it's very difficult to distinguish um in some cases the uh, original from the fake
0: how, how far is this technology advanced say in the last two years
1: I would say um, leaps and bounds uh, for sure. So, um, you know, and we've seen it in Hollywood uh, advance just as rapidly. You know, Um, you can see, you know, any sort of sci-fi or fantasy movie has better and better effects. And and for deepfakes specifically, what started as academic research papers saying, hey, this is possible and we can generate new faces. We can teach these actors. Here's all these practical uses. Um, It's now to the point where you can download an app on your phone, on your laptop. Um, and run your own model with uh, only a few hours' worth of work, and you get a reasonably passable fake video.
0: In, in terms of uh, this deep, deep fake video technology, you know we've heard the movie industry talk about its practical uses. Do you see any other practical uses for it?
1: I think that's the biggest one is uh, in entertainment um, because we are trying to create worlds of fantasy, so manufacturing something that's not real um, is a perfect use case. Mm-hmm. There are other potentials, uh, uses in um, video conferencing um, to clean up images. Um, The same technology um, can help fill in if the connection is bad, um, so the computer can generate um, the pieces of a face or of a communication that's not um, actually coming through that's being lost on the Internet. Um, So there are some quality um, assurance aspects of it as well, uh, but the prime use tends to be entertainment.
0: How, if possible, can you tell a real video from a deep fake, a deep fake video.
1: So the easiest way today is audio. Um, So there was a really popular deep fake video a couple years ago of Obama, and he was being um, imposed on uh, the comedian Jordan Peele. Now Jordan Peele does a passable Obama impression. So the video was quite convincing because Jordan Peele was mimicking Obama's voice and delivering the lines and the video, uh, the visuals looked fantastic. Um, But a lot of the time, uh, the audio is hard to fake. Now, there is deep fake audio technology coming along as well, where it can mimic uh, somebody else's voice with your words. So right now, today, audio is the easiest way. Um, The other uh, aspect on some of the less process videos are the less um, quality of deepfakes is looking for little artifacts around um, the line, sort of the seams of a face. So the edges of the face, especially the neckline, sometimes is um, an area where you'll see some distortion. It's basically thinking like in your favorite photo editing when you remove like something unsightly like a power line from a nice landscape shot. It looks good, but if you really zoom in, you'll see some blurring and something that looks a little bit out of place. But even those differences are quickly falling by the wayside
0: mark Nunakoven of a trend uh, of trend micro a uh, cybersecurity firm joining us on the unpublished cafe as we talk about deep fake video and you, you know mark if technology is advancing this fa- fast to create you know these fake realistic videos how fast is technology advancing in providing a solid you know detection of fake
1: videos So where we could describe deep fake technology as advancing by leaps and bounds, um, the detection and protection against this, I would describe at a snail's pace um it's extremely difficult it can be time consuming it can be done so in the cases um you know and i think your intro kind of set it up perfectly is that my background's in forensic science and you know if you give myself or someone you know equally trained one of these videos that's super convincing we can pull it apart and find out that it's a fake but in the most situations where these are being deployed maliciously in the political arena or to slander somebody um in a social scenario it's already too late so we can detect them Um, But it's not nearly as fast as they will spread or go viral and have the impact um, in a malicious intent that somebody's uh, somebody's going after.
0: Now, is there a way somebody can protect themselves from being a victim of a deep fake video?
1: here's the challenge. Not really. Mm -hmm. Um, The best way, so if we talk in the political arena, um, the best way to defend yourself is to have an active and verified social presence so that people know where they should be getting information from you. But the challenge in politics is obviously, one, you're, as a candidate, you're trying to put uh, your image and your position one way. So if somebody can dig up something, you know, a little bit of dirt or an opposing, you know, you said something uh, that opposes your current view, they want to use that. So the situation is sort of socially ripe to deploy this kind of um, malicious uh, video. And to protect against it is really, really difficult. And again, that same uh, aspect of the technology side is that in time you can dispute it, but the damage may already have been done because, you know, social media is propelling people to jump to conclusions faster and faster. And in the political arena, that can kill a campaign dead in its tracks.
0: What, uh, what other impacts do you see this technology having on, on future elections, in particular as Canada goes to the polls in October?
1: Yeah, the CSE report was was really quite interesting. So they broke down all of the threats to our democratic process. And while there are legitimate ones to the back end, most people think, you know, when uh, election hacking, they think someone actually breaking into the polls, changing votes, things like that. What's far more likely is what we've seen in the, in the U.S. election and some of the European elections where people are influencing um, the vote by, um, you know, taking people around the fence and pushing them one way or the other um, or uh, putting out negative ads. You know, this is attack ads at a whole new level. When it comes to deep fakes, we haven't seen them actively deployed in a campaign yet, um, but we have seen things leading up to them. So people have made um, still images that are um, showing candidates in compromising positions. Um, I'm sure within the next 12 to 18 months, we'll see a deep fake. The challenge is um, informing the electorate, that you should really go to the source. You should take the journalistic rule of making sure that anything you see has been, um, you know, double verified, at least two independent sources. But in this day and age, when everything moves so far, fast, and we're getting our information second and third hand on social media, it's an absolute critical challenge that we need to face.
0: Do you think the creators of this technology and, and you know, these are the companies that are doing this are, are, are around the world, have to take some of the liability for its use?
1: That's a tricky one. Um, you know, we deal with that in facial recognition technology a lot as well around the privacy implications of, of a tool like that. But at the end of the day, deep fakes, facial recognition, all these things are actually just tools. Now, um, we've been going along sort of this deep fake path for quite a long time where computers have been generating more and more realistic images. Um, and you know, we have huge advantages there. We've seen sort of deep fakes have come out of the motion capture area. Um, and if you know, myself, I'm a huge sci-fi and fantasy fan. Uh, and there's been some absolutely crazy and amazing movies um, and video games that have been put out using the precursors of this technology. So for the, the actual deep fake algorithm and for the researchers who first put it out there, the people making the apps today, I think there's some responsibility, but it's not ultimately up to them. It's up to us as how we deal with these tools and how we use, uh, use them. Because at the end of the day, the tool is neutral. It's whether or not your intention is malicious.
0: And, it, you know, from your perspective, is there, is there any recourse for victims of, of a deepfake video?
1: that's the real challenge. So we've seen some very real consequences for people where deep fake videos were used, um, in an adult context. So they were imposing, um, innocent, uh, victims onto, um, an adult video and saying, you know, this is so-and-so and and here's, um, uh, example and um, evidence of their affair um, and then slandering them at work and within their social circles. And it's extremely difficult to come back from that because it, it's personally jarring. Um, it's a violation of privacy. It's a personal violation. Um, it, it, it takes time, but you can come back from it. But again, this is a challenge outside of just deep fake context, and I, uh, context but I think a larger um, con- comment on social media and the way we run our communities online is that we're extremely quick to judge and extremely slow to forgive um, and to verify. And I think we need to speed up how quickly we verify things and not believe what we see because deep fakes are a perfect example that anyone can say anything or make anything appear online very, very easily.
0: Mm-hmm. But the verification is so difficult. You know, you've got to, you know, you've got to have, you know, very, very good eyesight. You mentioned your, your expertise, you guys can tear it apart, but you know, Joe, every day, can't really tear it apart. They see that video there. They think it's the real thing.
1: Exactly. And I think uh, part of it's common sense. Part of it is um, you know, uh, looking for so, uh, extra sources to verify Um, But that is that challenge because in the end of the day, if somebody did have a legitimate video in a compromising uh, position, it's unlikely that they would come out and freely admit it. Oh yeah, that was me doing this or saying those horrible things. Um, So it is is absolutely a catch 22. Now on the bright side, I'm hoping that um, with the raised awareness for platform providers, so for social media um, providers, that they're gonna start to provide some tools to help detect these types of videos um, and other type of fake news. Now, the immediate sort of um, manual review of everything is not working out so far, uh, but at least people are trying to tackle this from the technology companies, but also from community advocacy groups and regulation as well. Mark,
0: I want to thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. It was a great uh, subject. And this is one of the best things we can all do is raise it up and start talking about it.
0: Very much so. Mark Nunnicoven is a security expert with the cybersecurity firm Trend Micro. Canada is set to go to the polls in a federal election this fall. It'll be the first one that deepfake technology could have an impact, and that's a huge concern for many. Regina Rini is the Canada Research Chair of Moral and Social Cognition and Assistant Professor of Philosophy at York University, and she joins us on the Unpublished Cafe. And, Regina, which concerns you more, the technology to power deepfake videos or the lack of ability in determining real from fake?
2: That's a really good question. So the technology itself has some good uses, like artistic uses. You you can create video involving people, um, actors, people who consent to be involved in images of things they didn't actually do in real life. So there's a lot of artistic possibility for filmmakers and the like. But like a lot of technologies, it has real concerns. You can also put unconsenting people into videos of things they never did or said, and especially for politicians or public leaders or activists, that could lead to a lot of confusion or um, misbelief, misinformed belief in things that never actually happened. Or I think the long term, once we start knowing this happens, is we'll start disbelieving in general. We'll start disbelieving images and recordings, and we'll kind of at square one when it comes to having a public record that we can trust.
0: So this is almost like taking fake news to the next level instead of act, actually just saying fake news and not believing it. You've got something that actually backs up that argument.
2: That's right, yeah. So right now, when when deep fake technology isn't yet fully developed... If a politician or an activist says, that's fake news, that never happened, and then the videotape comes out and shows, yeah, actually, this video, it did happen, we have confirmation, the politician, hopefully, um, retracts their comment, and they, they at least they're embarrassed, it looks silly. But in the future, once everyone knows about this deepfake technology, once it's quite good, then even video evidence can be dismissed. The politician can say, "Oh no, that, that's fake news as well." Someone faked this video of me doing this inappropriate thing, or taking this bribe, or whatnot. Um, and once we reach that point, then whether or not we believe the news or even the recording will probably be a matter of whether we like the politician or not, and we do really won't have an independent way of verifying.
0: What What other implications uh, do you see for the use of this uh, deep fake video, in particular when mm-hmm. it comes to elections?
2: Yeah, in, in elections, I think that um, the way we'll probably see it first, and I'm actually quite worried that it will be tested this year in the Canadian general election. I, I, I suspect the people who want to use this, the main target, will be the U.S. election next year. But there's a history of um, of. Um, operatives of this sort testing things out first in the election the year before, the big one they're interested in. So I can imagine them uh, the reason why I say that is because we don't have to assume Canadians are doing this. This could be foreign operatives just testing it out on Canada as a guinea pig. And so my worry is that at some point this year we will see a video that's not great. Like if you watch it carefully you can see some oddities about the video and you kind of think okay that might be fake. But there's a debate. We start arguing. Did this politician really say that inflammatory thing in front of an audience last week that nobody can recall well, or was this a faked video? And maybe eventually we'll find out it was fake. But in the meantime, we're going to have a very confusing and, and destructive argument just about the videotape. So, I, um, if your listeners remember, about a month ago in the United States, there was this big uh, fuss over the, um, uh, an encounter in the, in the United States uh, in Washington D.C. between some boys from Covington Catholic High School and a Native American mm-hmm. activist, uh, and and and. The big thing came down to which version of the videotape did you believe, there were different angles, people saw different things, and no one was saying the videotapes were fake in that case, it was just a matter of how you perceived it. So imagine that kind of acrimonious, confusing debate, where now people are saying, it's not just how I perceived the video, but the video itself has been faked. The video itself is not a real depiction of events, it's not even a matter of perception, it's genuinely just faked. And at that point, I mean, I really don't know what happens once that becomes a common feature of public debate. Um, But but I worry that it makes just to make all of our discussions look like the worst bits of conspiracy theory stuff on the Internet.
0: You know, all that's required to create a deep fake video of someone is a few minutes of video of them. And, And for candidates in an election, that's going to be difficult to contain, considering the wide use of social media in an election campaign.
2: Yeah. Yes. I want to clarify one thing about the technology. Right mm-hmm. now, okay. it takes more than a few minutes of video. It actually takes quite a bit right now, probably hours of videotape uh, to make a convincing deepfake. You can make a bad one with minimal amount. But to make something that passes even an initial doubt test, you need a lot. So most of us currently aren't very good targets for deepfakes. Uh, well, well, you might be, since your voice is on the air quite frequently. Uh, but most people who aren't in media and who aren't public figures probably right now aren't very good targets. But politicians who are on television, constantly. There's lots and lots and lots and lots of hours of, videotaped of them available. They're good targets right now. And part of the worry I have is that as the technology gets better in future years, more and more and more of us will become possible candidates for, for being mm-hmm. targeted by this technology because less and less time is needed to generate deepfakes.
0: And it erodes the credibility of, of journalism.
2: That's right. Yes, that's absolutely a concern as well, that um, journalists, that people on the radio, people on podcasts, people on television, anyone who regularly has a track record, a recording track record, could be faked into saying anything. And a really clever faker isn't going to... Isn't going to frame you up saying something absurd or outrageous that's totally out of character. What they'll instead do is frame you up saying something that's just a little bit wrong. That is something you might have said, but makes it sound like you went a little bit farther than the evidence you had. Makes you sound a little bit incompetent in a way that it's very hard for you to deny that you actually made that mistake without starting a fight. And that's that's the that's the kind of scenario that a competent, very deep uh, deepfaker is likely to use to discredit a particular journalist.
0: Regina Rini is the Canada Research Chair of Moral and Social Cognition, as well as Assistant Professor of Philosophy at York University, joining us on the Unpublished Cafe as we talk deep fake video. And, you know, I, I had uh, Mark Nonicoven on uh, earlier talking about the, basically how it operates. And I'm wondering, I, I wondered about the liability of the, the, the people who create this kind of technology. Do they have, do they have uh, from your perspective, do they have an, a, a liability or... Uh, or I guess, yeah, I guess liability is the word I want to use for creating something that could be terrible for somebody down the line.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So legally speaking, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't speak to how they would be legally pursued, but I'm a a professional ethicist and ethically Mm -hmm. speaking, I think absolutely true. People who create this technology and leave it out irresponsibly for anyone to use absolutely are responsible. Um, they, they ought to. The rest of us ought to regard them as having a role and being at fault for the kinds of abuses this can lead to. I, I know there's some trickiness here because, again, the technology has some good uses. It can be used for things like um, like artistic uses. Or actually, uh, uh, a student sent me a video, a link to a video, a really interesting case where a um, Uh, um, a married couple one of the married couples one of the members of the couple did not speak um, Chinese and so they redubbed this person's voice in Chinese using a Chinese actor so that the Chinese speaking partner's parents could hear the marriage proposal in Chinese and this was like this, this is very exciting. This is very good for them. Everyone was very happy about this. So it was use of the same type of technology to do a really nice thing for people. So the technology has upsides. I don't want to say that people who worked on this technology always have bad motives. But leaving it out on the Internet for anyone to use untraceably in ways that no one can figure out who did what at what time, that's dangerous. That's irresponsible. And I think people who do that uh, ought to be held accountable.
0: How have governments reacted or, or adapted to the creation of this deepfake technology, knowing, you know, here in Canada, we've got an election in October and, of course, the U.S. goes to the polls next year?
2: Yeah, it's it's been very slow. Um, it, you, you can start to see some discussion of this in the U.S. and Canada in particular, um, Politicians seem to be aware of this increasingly, but to my knowledge, no one has yet passed or even proposed any legislation that would directly deal with this. And you can kind of see why, that there's free speech issues here. Um, trying to prohibit any use of this technology would impose limitations on artists on the other kind of good applications I mentioned. It's also just proving that a deepfake has been, this technology has been used in a legitimate way. is going to be really hard for all the reasons we've been talking about. It probably is possible to construct some legislation legislation that would make it criminal to knowingly depict the public figure saying something they never said. But it's going to take a long time for legal procedures to work out how we prove that that's happened and probably most of all proving who did it. It's already really hard to trace on the internet where things came from, what country it was done in, whether Canadian law reaches that far. You know, if someone's creating deep fakes in Macedonia, it's not quite clear what the Canadian government can do about it. So Anyway, I, I think we're at very early stages in figuring out how to solve this problem. And I'm, I'm hoping that we can keep a little bit ahead of the technology, legally speaking. But I don't know. I'm not sure that's what's going to happen.
0: You know, your video has been a great form of truth. It's long been seen and used as evidence in trials. But now with the, you know, deepfake technology, what do we have that can clearly determine reality from, from fantasy? Or is this just going to make every video you're going to see in, in a court case, everybody is going to question?
2: That's what I'm worried about. I, I think it won't go quite that far because there are certain technologies and certain limited uses where you can guard against deepfakes. For example, um, a CCTV camera that has a, a fixed position and that where the hardware is inaccessible to outsiders, you can... Imp- you can implant in that video what's called a watermark, which is a kind of a digital stamping that's not visible to the naked eye, but it can be detected by computers. And it's very hard for deepfakes to cope with that. So what that means is if there's like a dedicated CCTV camera, and I want to Deepfake it. I'm probably not going to be able to do that successfully unless I have direct access to the original machine. So those are we might be able to trust evidence from those um, cameras, but what we won't be able to trust is random cell phone video from random uh, random people's cameras on the street because those are much easier to fake because they don't have pre-registered and very clear watermarks. So it's going to be a mixed bag. And a lot of this, and for juries especially, this is going to be so hard because they're going to be dependent upon experts explaining why could you trust this camera, why can't you trust this camera, et cetera. And it's, it's a, definitely a worry.
0: Regina, I want to thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you. Have a good afternoon.
0: Regina Rini is the Canada Research Chair of Moral and Social Cognition and Assistant Professor at York University. And as you've heard, the implications for fair and honest elections is in the crosshairs of technology with deep fake video. And that brings us to our question for you Do you feel the use of deep fake video will be a factor in the next federal election? You can log on and vote right now. Go to unpublished.vote and have your say. I want to thank Mark Nunnicoven of Trend Micro for joining us, as well as Regina Rini of York University. And I want to thank you for listening to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand.